Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December 19th, 2019. On this episode, we'll talk about our favorite movie moments of the decade. I am Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall, and I'm joined today by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Writers Hawaii Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Well, as you can hear, uh, Peter cannot be on the show today, and then Ben is traveling, so uh, that leaves me to host the show. I, I apologize in advance, but you're a great you guys host so far, yeah. Jacob. We we brought all the drugs and beer, right? Yes. Okay, then it's gonna be a fun party. We have a good time. Anyway, what we're doing today is since we're still in December, which means news is deader than dead. Hollywood is shut down. No one wants to make any deals during the holidays, so nothing's being announced. We're still really deep in our best of decade coverage, so we wanted to uh, share one of our favorite articles or, or go into detail about it. And unlike some of the writers' rooms you've been hearing recently, this one was all discussed and you know finalized off mic because there's no real debates to be had. But this is a list of our favorite movie moments of the past decade, from 2010 to 2019. And this doesn't necessarily mean you know our favorite moments from our favorite movies or films that made our top ten of the decade, but moments that stood out for whatever reason from movies that. Maybe we like or think are only okay, but have just stuck with us. And sometimes moments from movies we generally do love and are from our top 10. And we did a whole f- list of 15. We're going to share a couple of them go around the circle today. Uh, so I'll go to get things started. Uh, give you, I think my first choice is kind of in the spirit of this. And of course, we are going to be going to spoilers for these movies. So if you hear a title you haven't seen and you're concerned about spoilers, you know, click fast forward, uh, skip ahead. And I'll be talking about the uh, film Gerald's Game first from director Mike Flanagan, the Stephen King adaptation that uh, was a Netflix film. Has anyone else uh, on here seen this? I know Chris has. I sure have. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, HD, have you seen this one? I have not. And from the way that you've described the degloving scene that you're about to talk about, sorry, uh, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm talking about the uh, infamous degloving scene that was horrifying on the page and more horrifying on the screen. Uh, Gerald's Game is about uh, a woman uh, named Jessie, played by uh, Carla Gugino, who is uh, handcuffed to a to a bed in her isolated country home for a uh, wild romp with her husband who has a heart attack and dies. So the 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 entire story takes place with her handcuffed this bed, trying to survive external threats in her own psych- psycho her own psychosis and. Eventually, in the back end of the movie, she plots her escape. She manages to shatter a glass of water that's been on her headboard. And she manages to get a hold of one of the pieces of glass. And starts cutting along her wrist to uh, get the skin, pretty much deglove herself. Take the skin off her hand to create enough blood and looseness to pull her hand out of the cuff. And the camera lingers in a way that is truly horrible. It is one of the most impressive makeup effects I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I think about it and I shudder. It is... I can't think of a moment of cinematic violence that I find more upsetting. And it's not a cruel moment. It isn't, this isn't Mike Flanagan uh, like reveling in how horrible this is for the sake of reveling, because Mike Flanagan's not the kind of filmmaker. He's he's had you on Jesse's side for so long in the movie that by this point he says, we're, we're, you're gonna, you're, this is a survival story. You're going to go all the way with her. It's almost like you want to... It's a weird, in a weird, perverse way you're cheering her on because you know this is the only way she can get out of here. Uh, and I think Gerald's Game is a very, it's a good movie, uh, very good, possibly. But I saw this in Fantastic Fest on the big screen. I've never seen the audience react this way. People literally sinking in their seats, people screaming, people moaning. And I cannot, I cannot recall a like horror-ready crowd more upset by a single act of movie violence. So even though Gerald's Game is nowhere near my top of the decade, this moment will forever live on is 
something that I will never be able to scrub from my brain. Uh, man, Chris, any thoughts in this moment? It's a very uh, upsetting moment. I, I gotta say, um, you know, Gerald's Game for years was one of those Stephen King novels I thought would never really make it to the screen, just because I don't think it's it's one of his better novels, and it's not very uh, cinematic. The whole book is basically like set in one room, but. Mike Flanagan did a really great job of, of making it work. And it's, it's moments like this that show how good he is at adapting the unadaptable. So uh, I'm, I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan, and I, I'm always excited when he, he's got something new. Uh, how about you, Chris? What's going to be your first moment? Uh, let's see. Well, one of my first moments um, <laughs> is uh, from Mad Max Fury Road, and it's it's probably like the one moment in the movie that isn't action-packed, and that might seem odd because that movie is, is pretty much like a nonstop chase scene, but there's this one moment where the action finally slows down, where... where uh, Max and Furiosa and all the uh, the wives are... Um, they end up in, in the desert, and... Uh, the whole the whole mission is they're they're trying to get to the, this almost mythical green place that Furiosa remembers from her childhood before she was stolen to live in you know the big city with with all the uh, the war boys and such and uh, she ends up reuniting with her people basically the people she was stolen from and uh, it's this really emotional harrowing moment that Charlize Theron really nails with with very few words it's all like in her eyes and the way George Miller frames her eyes and, and this just big emotional moment where she finally realizes she's, she's reunited with these people. She thought she would never see again. She's been gone for thousands of days and the emotional uh, uh, catharsis of that moment is then punctured when she realizes that the green place doesn't exist anymore. And in fact, they've actually already passed through it. It's this like, horrible marsh area that you know has been destroyed over the years and she just wanders out on her own into the middle of the desert and and lets out this really painful scream and the audio drops down a little bit and the music rises and it's just this big big emotional moment and it works so well and it's one of the reasons i i love this movie so much yeah you're right it's the one moment that where the pace slows down and the pace slows down so you can feel the most emotional moment in the movie, which the most outwardly emotional moment. It's a really good scene. I know, HG, this movie is also one of your all-time favorites. Does this one stand out to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. This is also one of my favorite scenes. I didn't write about it, but I completely agree with everything Chris said. It just cuts you to your soul because you feel just the the raw vulnerability in her voice and in her posture and just kind of that breakdown when everything that she's been working for till now uh, completely shatters and it's just so powerful um, and I love that one of my favorite, my favorite things about Mad Max Fury Road is that it's able to balance those moments of just um, con- con- almost contemplative emotion with uh, the action-packed adrenaline of everything else it's, it's such a great film so good uh, hey Brad why do you hate this moment <laughs> <laughs> I do not hate this moment whatsoever all right. Well, how would you share uh, your your next moment or your first moment, Brad? Uh, well, funny enough, my first moment also features uh, a a scream into the void, just in a much different tone, uh, and it's a sequence from MacGruber, which is an outstanding, totally silly, absolutely hilarious comedy. Uh, it adapts the Saturday Night Live sketch of the same name. 
But the movie is so much better than the usual Saturday Night Live sketches because it figures out a way to evolve beyond just the bit that made MacGruber funny on Saturday Night Live. And in this sequence, MacGruber has just rounded up a team of all-American badasses to take on uh, his nemesis, Steeter von Kunth. And as he's bragging about the team he's assembled and the explosives that he's packed in the van so that the rookie played by Ryan Phillippe can't get in, the van blows up, killing everybody he just gathered in an entire montage throughout this movie. And MacGruber just loses it, runs over to the explosion. Will Forte's reaction is incredible in this movie because he's panicking and he's yelling for their names. He's going, tug, tug, guys, are you okay? <laughs> and he's just walking around aimlessly saying, call 911, call 911, and then drops to his knees and lets out the most piercing scream into the sky. And what makes this even better is a quick cut in the middle of the scream to the aftermath of the funerals. And one of my favorite lines in, re in recent memory is after MacGruber asks how his eulogies were at the funerals, the general says, very touching. Might have used the uh, used the F word a little less, though. And he says, well, they were fucking great guys. And this is a fucking asshole of a day. <laughs> I, I love you so much. As you can tell, I'm also a big fan of this scene. It is the only... The only thing I'm screwing on is that I think the ghost scene where MacGruber has sex with the, with the ghost of his wife may be a little bit better. But otherwise, goodness, MacGruber is nothing but funny moments. Oh, yeah. That ghost graveyard sex scene is hilarious, too. HT uh, and Chris, MacGruber, comedy classic. I've actually never oh, yeah. seen it. What? I'm sorry. How dare you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Every, everyone has blind spots, but you, you should watch HT. I think you would really like it. All right. <laughs> have, I, I, have you been sold on it what's I, I mean i have no like feeling whatsoever towards mcgruber i never really was into the snl uh bit and it's just kind of there for me so i don't have any anything any uh opinion about it, it. this is um i i honestly have never had never even seen the snl bits i just watched the movie blind i guess and you don't have to like them i'm assuming because i haven't seen them but i i love the movie on its own so yeah. you might like it as Brad says, it's a genuine improvement over the SNL sketch. It it takes a one-note joke and makes it into just this anarchic, like, send-up of so many... You'll like it, H.G. You'll like it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry All it right. sounds just so blasé, but I don't have anything <laughs> to add to that. Yeah, but, and, and Brad, um, I think this and Popstar, like, make a great double feature if you people want to, like, see the best comedies of the 2010s, right? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and Pop Popstar, which actually made our top 100, uh, MacGruber was on your personal list, and man, now I'm regretting not not giving it an edge there. And, uh. See, I, I I felt bad about cutting it, even though I knew it wasn't going to make it, and I feel like it deserved it, but there's a lot of movies that we had to work through, so I understood. All right, uh, so let's move on to HT. Uh, HT, what is your first moment? Uh, my first moment is very on brand for me. It's one from one of my favorite movies of the decade, which did not make my top 10, but uh, I fought for very hard on the writer's room episode, you might remember. But this is the no man's land scene in Wonder Woman. And this is the scene that just um, was almost uh, cut from the movie, actually. I remember there was a whole uh, kerfuffle about how Warner Brothers executives wanted this scene cut from the film and Patty Jenkins fought tooth and nail to keep it in it because this is her this is diana's becoming scene the scene where she kind of accepts her mantle as wonder woman and and um 
marches onto to no man's land and proves why she exactly she deserved that title. So this is a scene that takes place about maybe like a third of the way through the film. And it's as Diana, played by Gal Gadot, is being led through the trenches of the battlefront by Steve Trevor. And she hears that there is a village that has been captured by German soldiers and that the women, children, and uh, men in that village are have been enslaved. And she insists that they uh, cross a no man's land to save the village, but a Steve Trevor rejects that and says that we can't save everyone that's not our job and she said that's that might not be what you're going to do but that's what I'm going to do and she sheds her civilian clothing takes down her hair and crosses no man's land which is you know kind of an on the nose thing for the the uh the term for wonder woman but it works so well and um, the reason that this scene uh, may not have worked for the executives and may not work for everyone is that there isn't that much that actually happens in this scene. She just crosses the, um, the battlefield and uh, deflects a bunch of bullets and knocks over a tank. But what happens is so much stronger thematically. She, in this sense, is, you know, becoming Wonder Woman in, this, in the purest form. She is uh, wielding her femininity in the, in the form of, like, her... Um, her flowing hair and shedding the sort of this is going to be a probably a read that people will groan their eyes uh, groan at but shedding the sort of patriarchal civilian clothes that are keeping her um limited and uh just becoming who she's meant to be and i think it's a, a scene that um really exemplifies everything that's great about wonder woman because it it embodies that aspirational quality that um, I see in Wonder Woman and I see in a lot of DC superheroes in that she inspires everyone around her to be better and inspires that um, soldiers to follow her across no man's land and uh, finally live up to what she how she sees humanity as being as being good and being capable of, of something better and it's such a powerful scene that it's just um, stuck with me throughout and makes me just my heart leap every time I watch it. Yeah, I love this moment as well. He's the best scene in the movie. And I think it's really uh, a really good choice, uh, Patty Jenkins, uh, to set the Civil War One instead of World War Two or another conflict. Because this is a, a war that was, uh, unlike World War Two, which you can sort of boil down to, you know, um, good guys versus bad guys on a basic level. World War One was such a political mess, such a needless, thankless war where... where there was victims and heroes and villains on both sides in a, in, a, in a mass conflict where nobody really understood what they were dying for. So for her to stride through needless conflict like this, it matters in a way that, you know, doing that in a traditional superhero scene may not. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's move back to me, I guess. Uh, I'm going to pick probably my sillier selection on this list and from a movie I have not seen since theaters in 2013, but has lingered on uh, within me <laughs> since that time. And that is a moment from Captain Phillips, uh, Paul Greengass's movie uh, starring Tom Hanks as a uh, captain of a shipping uh, vessel who has uh, hijacked by Somali pirates. He's taken captive and it's, it's a good movie. I like it a lot. I think Tom Hanks is really good in it. And it's intense, but having, I haven't thought about the plot of the movie or been bothered to see it uh, since, like I said, I guess, I guess six years now. But there's a scene that became an instant meme when it was in the trailer, and it became instantly iconic 
when you see it in context. And that is when the pirates storm the uh, bridge of the vessel. And the leader, uh, uh, Muse, played by Oscar-nominated Bakada B, uh, says to Captain Phillips, look at me, look at me, I'm the captain now. Oh, and you're not going to do the impression? I, I thought you were going to do, do the, the voice for a second, Jacob. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh he's going to oh, do it. Should I? Should I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, up to, it's entirely up to you. I don't want to make, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, I was mostly kidding. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Um, <laughs> I say this every day. I will be sitting on the couch with my wife watching Jeopardy and a commercial will come up and I'll turn to her and say, look at me. And she'll look at me like just uh, out of habit. And I'll go, I'm the captain now. And she'll groan and look away. Or I'm playing board games. And it's my turn. So I say, look at me. Look at me. And she'll look at me. I'm the captain now. And I, I, I'll be issuing deadlines for Slash Home Writers. And I'll be thinking, I'm the captain now. Uh, this moment, it's a, it's a good moment. And it's a good performance. It's a good movie. But this moment, for whatever reason, maybe because it was in the trailers, maybe because people quoted it so often, it has entered my vocabulary. I don't think any other film from the 2010s has literally entered my day-to-day vocabulary like Captain Phillips. Uh, I think the only movie meme from the decade that may be funnier is uh, How Come Chief Willoughby, the three billboards for three billboards <laughs> outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, but I can't say that. Uh, it's, hard, it's harder for me to work there in a daily conversation where I can just say I'm the captain now to, in any situation and it works and people get it. So I want to ask, is there a moment like this for you guys, a, a line that you just quote constantly uh, that maybe from a movie you don't actually love? Uh, not from a movie that I don't actually love, but a movie that I do love um, in Superbad when Jonah Hill asks if this is the line for the bathroom. Someone just goes, what do you think? And he just goes, fuck me, right? And I use that all the time. <laughs> um, I can't, I mean, I this isn't like something that, that I quote a lot, but I've been doing it a lot lately. And it's from the Bash Brothers. <laughs> it's the to make dad love me. Uh, part of I can't remember what the song was, but um, <laughs> to make Dad love me because I just quote it every every time there is I don't know some movie about like bad fathers and I just it just is really funny to me because it's just it's so succinct and I love it it's to make Dad love me. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's go back to Chris. Chris, what's your next moment? Uh, my moment is from a movie I love, but I, I don't think many people other many other people love it. And it's called Haywire. It's it's Steven Soderbergh's attempt to make sort of like a uh, uh, an action movie, if you will. And it stars uh, Gina Carano, who was a uh, MMA fighter, I believe, and now she's an actress. And a lot of people don't really think she's a great actress. I think she's fine. I especially think she's well suited for this movie because the movie basically requires her to just run around punching people and kicking them and she's really good at that and um uh, haywire is such a cool action movie because soderbergh is really good at, at shooting action he doesn't do like the shaky cam thing he he stages it in a way that you can really see everything that's happening which a lot of modern action filmmakers especially around the time this movie came out don't tend to do they tend to get in really close it's it's that born effect where everything has to shake and you can't really tell what the hell is going on and Soderbergh doesn't do that with this movie and uh there's a lot of great action scenes in this movie but the one that really stands out to me is there's a moment where Gina Carano's character who is like a government contractor uh and she's working on, on this mission with Michael Fassbender who plays this MI6 agent and even though they're working together, he's actually been tasked to kill her. And after they, they pull off this mission, they go back to a hotel room and he immediately attacks her. 
and it just descends into this really long fight sequence where like there's no dialogue it's just them kicking the shit out of each other and destroying this hotel room and it, it's so brutal but it's oddly like sexual in a way because they're both like dressed really nice and they're both really attractive people and they're both like wrapping their legs around each other it's really really memorable scene and i i love this movie so much and this scene in particular every time it comes on i get so into it because it's literally just these two people beating the crap out of each other and it looks really real like it looks like they're really pummeling each other and i believe they they kind of work because gina carano obviously is a fighter and michael fassbender told her while they were shooting this that he wanted her to like you know not take it easy on him and she really doesn't she <laughs> beats the crap out of him and they just ruin this very nice hotel room and uh it's a great scene and if you have not seen haywire everyone please watch it i mean chris i haven't seen haywire since theaters but this scene and the last shot uh, are both things that linger in my mind quite a bit hell yeah I have a, a bit of a crush on Gina Carano. I have ever since she was uh, an American Gladiator on the reboot on NBC. <laughs> I didn't know she was on that. Yeah, her her Gladiator name was Crush. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the question, uh, Chris. Uh, will Gina Carano, being a supporting cast member on The Mandalorian, get you back into that show? No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on then to Brad. What's your second moment? Uh, my second moment is, uh, I'll, I'll veer away from the comedy um, for a second, to a moment that happened earlier this year. Uh, it's it's new, so maybe some people don't think it should be one of the most memorable moments of the decade, but it really is. Uh, and it is the final battle in Avengers Endgame, when all of the characters who were dusted by Thanos snapping his fingers with the Infinity Stones return, and we get the... A moment when Captain America gets to say the line everyone's been waiting for him to say for for ten years, uh, and that's Avengers Assemble. And this this whole sequence is just uh, fantastic. It's uh, this this was the first time ever that I had a swell of like excitement and joy that it actually legitimately brought tears of joy to my face when I was watching it for the first time in theaters because it is just so cool to see everybody come back. It's great to see everyone in the same scene for the first time. And the fact that this also comes, you know, after Captain America has shown that he's worthy enough to wield Mjolnir and he calls it again right before he says that, that line, uh, this scene is just fantastic. It, it's, uh, it's an endless array of comic splash panels the the action throughout the entire scene is is outstanding every avenger gets their moment and uh this is just easily one of the most satisfying uh epic finales of any blockbuster franchise uh from you know decades decades past so this was a, a big one for me and it's just uh something that i didn't expect to be you know so wowed by obviously i knew it was going to be huge but it's um it stuck with me so much that's one of those things that made my disappointment with the rise of Skywalker recently that much harder to swallow. Yeah, Brad, we haven't done our uh, best of the year stuff yet. It's going to follow after our best of the decade. But when we do our uh, podcast and article for the best moments of 2019, this is my number two on my personal list. So uh, I think this is a really tremendous moment. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's move on to our uh, last one. Uh, HD, uh, you, let's close this out. 
Well, this is one that it's also a little recent, but um, it's and it's one that comes from a movie that I didn't love. I liked it mostly, but um, this is the shallow or just shallow from A Star Is Born, the first performance between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga's characters after they had a night full of first meetings and flirtations and it kind of culminates into this one big performance that to me just feels so cinematic in that splashy old Hollywood kind of way. It's a a performance that is very spontaneous. It follows Lady Gaga's alley after she's um, invited backstage to uh, watch Jackson Maine, Bradley Cooper's character's show. And um, as he's on stage, he suddenly starts playing the song that Lady Gaga had sung a few notes to to him of before the night before, and um, he had written like a little bit more of the song and starts to sing it, and he beckons her out on stage. And at first she's reluctant, but then the music swells. She walks forward and um, starts to sing a little bit quietly at first and then gaining confidence until she finally hits that big note that everyone tries to imitate but can never really do because they don't have Lady Gaga's uh, vocal chops. And it's a moment that the movie never quite lives up to again. It kind of actually turns it into a a textual thing in that like they're always trying to recreate the magic uh the grandeur of this one moment where they're able to perform together and it's kind of these two kindred spirits meeting as one through music and they all constantly try to recreate it and don't and it's always a pale imitation and uh i think that this moment just is so transcendent that um it elevates the rest of the movie and and makes it such a a worthy remake. This is the third remake of the story, and um, at the same time, capturing like why this the story of *Stars Born* is so timeless. It's um, it's fantastic, and I think Warner Brothers did a really smart job too of of uh, centering their marketing around this song and this performance, especially Lady Gaga's big feral note, uh, because it just sends chills down my spine every time I I watch it and listen to it. Even I just watch the trailer over and over again because of that that moment so it's something that is just incredibly timeless and amazing to watch yeah it's amazing to think about this moment uh which and you're right hd it it's such a strong moment that the rest of the movie (laughs) not not, not that it falls flat but you're just waiting for it to get that good again and man i wish it did because i like it stars more a lot but i love this scene i think it's one of the best musical moments of the decade for sure all right, uh, so that was just a, a taste of what we wrote in the full article. Uh, the rest of our choices, uh, plus those from Ben, are online. The link is in the show notes. If you want to read more or read our extended thoughts on these moments, uh, please go check that out. Uh, but in the meantime, you can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. A link in the show notes, SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television, as well as deeper dives into great features from SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to SlashFilmDaily on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, and all the popular podcast uh, apps. Spend your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case you mention the email on the air. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, uh, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wow, that's a mouthful. How does Peter do that every podcast? Anyway, goodbye, folks.